If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to, to the Gospel of Luke. To the Gospel of Luke. We have been studying this book and uh, we're going through the series which, which I'm calling the, the Mission of Jesus. And we know what the mission of Jesus was from the, the record of Luke's Gospel, um, which he tells us in chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So last time in Luke, I mentioned that Luke gave us five nativity hymns. And this week, um, the, well, the week before last, we studied Elizabeth's song in chapter 1, verse 42 and verse 45. And today we're going to study the second of these hymns, which is Mary's song. And theologian R.C. Sproul, he said this about Mary's song. He said, um, Mary's song, the Magnificat, is one of the most important hymns in the history of the church. And another Bible commentator by the name of William Barclay, he said about the song, it has been said that religion is the, the opiate of the people, but it has also been said that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. So these are strong words for a song that we don't know very well. So today, hopefully, we can learn together why this song is so important and that we would respond like, like Mary did with a heart of worship and praise to our awesome God. So we're reading from verse 46 this morning to verse 56, if you would... Follow in your, in your Bible. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For, who, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thankful, Lord, for this time of the year where... We get to celebrate the incarnation of your Son. And Lord, we wonder at your providence, Lord, in allowing us to be here in the Gospel of Luke, where we get to learn about the wonders that happened 2,000 years ago in the lives of all of these people who were connected to the birth of your, your dear Son. Father, we thank you for recording all of these events for us so that we can understand more intimately and more personally how this relates to us in the 21st century. 
We pray today as we study this, this song of praise, this song of worship, that our hearts, Lord, would respond in praise and worship. That, Lord, we would see the, the greatness of this event on mankind in future past and in future present. And Father, we would see how we fit as a church into this, this big plan of redemption that you have before the foundations of the world prepared for us. We pray today that our hearts would respond, our hearts would leap with joy as we learn more about your sovereignty and your providence in providing us a wonderful Savior. So we pray you teach us this morning and open our hearts and open our eyes and open our, our ears to the, the truths that the Spirit would want to teach us this morning. And may you receive all the glory from our response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wonder if you've ever thought about writing a song and how hard and, and difficult it would be. Maybe you started and you never finished. Maybe you, you wrote too much. But what words would you, would you use to write a song of praise to God? What words would you write to describe His majesty and to speak of His, His majesty? Well, I wonder if you've heard the, the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Maybe you sang it in, um, in Sunday school at one stage. Uh, some of the words from this hymn we actually use today in a, in, a, in, a, in a modern contemporary version. But in the 1880s, a Welsh missionary who had endured severe persecution finally saw his first converts in a, in a brutal village in the Indian province of Assam, which is northeast India. A husband and a wife with their two children, they professed faith in Christ and they were finally baptized. And of course, their village leaders decided to make an example out of the husband. So he arrested the family and they demanded that the father renounce Christ or he would see his wife and his children murdered. This is a true story. And when he refused, his, his two children were executed by, by archers. And given another chance to recant, the man again refused. And his wife was similarly struck down. And still refusing to recant, the man followed his family into glory. Well, witnesses later told the story to this Welsh missionary. And the report said that when asked to recant or see his children murdered, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. Well, after seeing his children killed, he reportedly said, the world behind me but the cross is still before me. And after seeing his wife pierced by the arrows, he then went on to say, though no one here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. Well, according to this Welsh missionary, when he returned to the village, a revival had broken out. And those that had murdered the, the first converts from this village had since 
come to faith themselves. And the Welsh man passed along these reports to a famous Indian evangelist by the name of Sadhu Sunda Singh. And this man, this evangelist, took the martyr's last words and put them to traditional Indian music in order to make one of the first uniquely Indian hymns. Well, today's passage is the, the second of five songs in the book of Luke. And similar to all other hymns, Mary's song is in response to, to who God is and what He has done. It is a song filled with much gratitude, with much joy. And Mary's song is totally God-centered in its praise. She sings about God, about who God is, and about what He's like, about what He's done. It's, it's all focused on God. And she's thankful for what God has done. It is a song filled with trust. She believes God's promises and, and sees them unfolding before her, her very eyes. It's also a song filled with praise. In the song, she adores God for who He is. It's a very personal song. It's a very personal hymn. And she even mentions the blessings that God has given to me. A couple of times in this, in this song. But it's set in the context of a bigger story of God's dealings over the course of, of all the generations of His people, not just about Mary, and she recognizes that as well. It's a song that points to the, to the covenant of grace, to God's promises of old, to, to Abraham. And throughout, it emphasizes God's work of the gospel, God's plan of the gospel, God's carrying out of the gospel, and God's grace in the gospel. And you may, you may remember that that after the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was going to conceive and, and bear the son, he also told her that Elizabeth, her, her relative, had also conceived a son, and that she was in her sixth month of pregnancy. We see that in, in verse 36. So Mary, Mary gets up and goes to visit Elizabeth. We saw that last time in verse 39. And the meeting between the two relatives was a, was a time of great joy and celebration. And last time we saw Elizabeth bursting out and singing her song, singing her hymn, pronouncing blessings upon Mary and Jesus and all who believe in Jesus. And here, this is Mary's response that we're going to look at today. And Mary responds with equal joy by, by singing this wonderful hymn. And so Mary's song is a song of praise to God. Mary praises God for a number of His attributes. And today we're going to learn that there are several ways in which every Christian should praise God. And my first point this morning is we should praise God for His condescension. For His condescension. So that is in verse 46. Mary begins her song by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Well, the word magnify is a, is a verb, and it literally means to make great. It means to, to magnify or to enlarge or to celebrate or to glorify. 
And rejoice is another intense word that she uses there. And it's an expression of supreme joy. And Mary began her song by expressing supreme joy and, and the delight in making God's name great. And this is foundational to praising God. If we don't know God, we can't praise God, isn't it? And we are to magnify His name and nothing else and no one else. But why was Mary expressing such delight and joy in making God's name great? And I think it was because of God's condescension toward her. Now the word condescension can be used positively and negatively. And we are familiar with the, with the negative expression, I think, when, when people look down on their, down their noses towards us and think that they know better than, than we do. We, we know that when people are condescending towards us. And that's not the definition I'm, I'm using here this morning. Condescension here can be a positive when, when somebody voluntarily descends from their, their rank or their, their dignity in relations with others who are inferior. And this is exactly what happened when, when Christ came down to earth, isn't it? He voluntarily descended from his throne in heaven to dwell amongst his own creation here on this earth, on this sinful earth. And Mary praises God for that. She praises God for that. She praises him for taking notice of her. She says in verse 48, in the beginning of verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And Mary was stunned that God would choose her. She never got over this. She knew that she was a sinner. She had just praised God as her savior. She knew that she didn't deserve a savior. She knew that she was not some magnificent demigod. She was a sinner who needed a savior. Mary was not sinless or immaculate as the, the Roman Catholic Church claims. She was very aware that she needed a savior to deliver her from her, her sin. And Mary would deny vehemently that the reason God chose her to conceive his son was because she was sinless. She would deny that. She knew she was not without sin. And Mary was astonished that God had looked on her, her humble estate. She was just an ordinary girl from an insignificant Galilean village that was scorned by other Israelites. There was nothing amazing about, about Mary. Mary did not view herself as exalted in any way. In fact, she saw herself as God's servant. And the Greek word for servant is, is doulos. And it, we see here, Mary is the first person in the New Testament to identify herself as the Lord's slave. And this is a designation that became normal for Christians after the death of Christ. We see that word being used in the, um, in the New Testament very often after the, the death of Christ. And even though Mary was God's slave, she also recognized the incredible blessing that, that God was giving to her. She says in verse 48, the second part of verse 48, For behold, from now on, 
all generations will call me blessed. So to be the mother of Jesus was an incredible honor, no doubt. No other woman in all of history will, will ever bear that honor ever again. And yet, notice, Mary recognized that there was nothing good in her, that God chose her not because she deserved it, but rather because of God's grace. So he condescended to bless Mary, and for that, she is praising him. She's received what she doesn't deserve. And I think that is the, the very definition of grace, receiving what we do not deserve. And if we are honest, we will admit that we are, without, or that we are sinners. And the Scriptures tell us that in 1 John Chapter 1, verse 10, we, we learned about that last year. If we say that we are without sin, we call God a liar. So God has condescended himself from this perfect palace, from this perfect throne, to come to a world that has been corrupted with sin, to offer us what we do not deserve, to give us what we do not deserve. None of us has any merit to present to God. None of us have done anything that God would accept. The prophet Isaiah tells us all of our works is as filthy rags. So God doesn't see us and anything that we have done as deserving of His grace. Nothing that we do can get us a ticket into heaven. And thank God that it's not about what we do. It's not about what we have done. And it's not about who we are. It's about who God is. And about what God has done for us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. The very definition of grace. Receiving what we do not deserve. And if you're asking me, well, what do we deserve, Gareth? Well, Romans tells us in chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. That is what we deserve. And yet as Christians who put our faith in Jesus, we don't get that. The rest of Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So as Christians, we receive eternal life. We don't deserve that. What we deserve is the wages of our sin. We deserve death. And God has condescended. He has come down to this earth to give us what we don't deserve. And our hearts should respond in the same way that Mary did, with gratitude and thankfulness, and a heart of praise and a heart of, of worship. And I hope that your life is characterized by that. I hope that people see you as a person who is thankful, a person who is grateful for the grace of God in your life. And Mary just shows us right here in this song how it's done. But second, we should praise God for His holiness. That's my second point. We see that in verse 49. Mary says, For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So Mary knew that she was blessed because God is mighty and that he had done great things for her. So to become the mother of, 
of Jesus was, of course, astonishing. And I'm sure that she did not comprehend at the time all that would be involved in, in being the mother of Jesus. But nevertheless, she praises God for what he had done for her. And she praises God because she knew that holy is his name. And I think God's holiness is the most dominant attribute of God, the most dominant characteristic of God. Now, God's attributes consist of love, we know that, consist of mercy, consist of grace, con consist of justice, and, and so on and so on. But the attribute that is most prominent in the scripture is his holiness. You know, in biblical times when something important was, was said, the word was often repeated. For example, when Jesus wanted to emphasize something to the people, he did not simply say, truly, he would say it twice, truly, truly, isn't it? And that meant that Jesus was about to say something really important. But to say something three times was very, very important. And the one thing in the entire Bible that is said three times is the word holy, attributed to God. Holy, holy, holy. And we see this in Isaiah his vision of the Lord in the Old Testament. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord sitting up on his throne in the temple, he saw these angelic beings, also known as, as seraphims, that, that called to one another, holy, holy, holy. Another occasion when a word is repeated three times is found in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. And John said that the the four living creatures worshiping God around his throne never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. We see that in Revelation chapter 4. So this is clearly a distinction of who God is. It really distincts him from the rest of all the other demigods that, that man has created. We need to recognize it, that we are not coming into the presence of just a, a friend. We're not coming into the presence of just a, a pal or a, or a buddy. As Christians, we come into the living presence of God who is altogether holy and who cannot look at wrong. Our God is holy, folks. And he is different from all the other gods that are made up. God is holy, and we need to recognize that. And we cannot stand before his holiness without the, the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. The question is asked in the psalm, who could stand before God's holy hill? And the answer to that is nobody. Nobody could stand before a holy, holy, holy God. It's only because God sent his son Jesus that we are made holy. If we put our faith in his sacrifice for us, if we put our faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who can wash us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's only because of Jesus that we can stand before a holy God. And we should praise God for his holiness. But third, we should praise God for his mercy. We see his mercy mentioned in verse 50. 
Mary says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now Mary's quoting scripture here. And this is a rough quote of Psalm 103. Actually, Mary's song is filled with references to the Old Testament scriptures. And it's an indication to us that, that her heart and her, her mind were, were always thinking about scriptures. They were saturated with the word of God. And Mary's song as a whole has lots of similarities even to, to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which she offered to God after he blessed her with a baby. And furthermore, Mary began in, in verse 46 by praising God. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is an echo of, of Psalm 32. My soul boasts in the Lord. This is a reference to, again, her Savior. It's similar to the Old Testament passage, again, in 2 Samuel, and in Isaiah, and in Hosea. And she says there, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She says that in, in verse 48. Again, it's, it's a reflection of what Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel. And of course, there are other references as well. But the point I'm trying to make is that Mary was very well grounded in the Scriptures. She knew the Old Testament Scriptures. She clearly knew her Bible and had memorized many portions of Scripture. And remember, Mary was probably only 13 years old at this time. 13 years at this time. Let me make an application right here. Now, parents, don't think that your children are too young to memorize Scripture. Teenagers, don't think that when you're older, you're going to start learning the Bible. God's Word is profitable for our instruction and training in righteousness. And God's word will be your sure and certain guide throughout your entire lives if you allow your minds to be saturated with it. If you allow your mind, if you memorize it and live by it. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 105, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And this is what Mary shows us here in response to this announcement. Scriptures just flow from her heart. She knew her Bible. And why don't I challenge you even now before the new year? Make that a, a New Year's resolution. That this year I'm going to learn the Bible better. I'm going to memorize Scripture. Spend time with your children. Learning a memory verse. One a week. One a week. I'm going to treasure the Bible up in my heart and, and be taken captive by God's Word so that I won't be taken captive by the world and the flesh and the devil. I challenge you, make that your New Year's resolution. Mary praised God for His mercy in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Notice there, those who fear Him. Those who fear God... Understand that he's holy. Those who fear God understand that they are not holy. Those who fear God are those who understand that what they deserve is not heaven but hell. So those who fear God are believers. Those who fear God are, are Christians. And they are the ones who submit to God with, with respect and, and fear and, and reverence. He's not just a buddy. He's not just a pal. 
And Mary says, God's mercy is for those. God's mercy is for those. They are blessed by His forgiveness. They are blessed by His love. They are blessed by His grace. We should praise God for His mercy. We deserve to go to hell for all eternity because we had broken God's law. Yet in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, God extended mercy towards us. And He loved us and set His heart upon us and forgave us all of our sin. Remember, God didn't have to do that, folks. He could have, he could have destroyed the world and started all over again. But He didn't do that. He chose to send His Son, Jesus, to make a way for us to have relationship with Him, to be reconciled with Him. And He forgave us all of our sin, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but rather because of His mercy, because of His mercy. The fourth thing we see here is Mary praising God for His power. And Mary says in Verse 51, in the first part, he has shown strength with his arm. Well, this is a, a figure of speech, and it reminds us of young boys who are just learning about their muscles and comparing their muscles with each other. Look how big my muscles are. Look how big my muscles are. And they show each other's muscles with their arms, but, but that is incomparable, really, to the power of God. God is all-powerful. And because God is all-powerful, it tells us He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Look at verse 51 there. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So the proud are those who think that, that they are first and that they are foremost. And the proud are those who, who think that they know better than God. And the proud are those who, who think that there is no God. And Mary said that because God is all-powerful, He would scatter these people. He would destroy these people. So we praise God because He is all-powerful. We should praise God because he is, he is sovereign. Because He is sovereign. We see that in the fifth point, in verse 52. Mary says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So Mary demonstrated in these verses that she had a, a wonderful understanding of God's power, but also of the Scriptures. And here she has an understanding of Old Testament history. She remembered how God had put down Pharaoh and the Canaanites and, and the Philistines and Haman and Belshazzar, and she remembered how God had exalted Joseph to be completely destroyed. And she remembered how God had fed the Israelites in the wilderness and how in judgment He had sent the rich packing. So we should praise God for His sovereignty. And finally, we should praise God for His faithfulness. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So Mary also understood God's covenant. 
with his people that he had made. She knew that God had spoken to her fathers, in particular Abraham, and God had promised to make from Abraham's spiritual seed a great nation that would be a blessing to the rest of the world. And now Mary saw that God was carrying out this covenant that he had made. He was being faithful to the promise that he had made in bringing a deliverer into this world through her. But notice, this, this isn't just about Mary. This isn't just about Mary. This is about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Verse 54, look there, verse 54. He's helped his servant Israel. She's not talking about herself, she's talking about Israel. Look at verse 55. He's spoken to our fathers, to, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So now she's not focusing on herself. Now she's talking about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. This goes all the way back to the beginning of God's dealings with his people. Mary realizes that this is not all about her. Of course it's about Jesus, but it's about God's total plan with his people that stretches from, from history past and is much larger than just her. It's much more than just her. In other words, Mary views herself in light of the, the larger reality of God's people and God's plan. She sees the big picture. She sees the big picture. And friends, I think the Christian life is healthiest when it is anchored in our understanding that, that Christianity is not just about us, that there is something bigger than us. God has a bigger plan. And it's more than just about us individually, it's about us corporately. It's about all of God's people. And we're all part of that wonderful story if our faith is in Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we, we are brought into a family. We like to call it a faith family, don't we? We're part of the story of redemption. And I think one of the challenges we face as a church in our, in our own culture here in the UAE is that people tend to think that because we're here in the UAE temporarily, we don't really need to get involved or we don't really need to, to be committed to a, to a church. We don't need to help with the, or serving in a local church. And rather than committing to, to membership, and rather than getting involved in, and being willing to be held accountable to the church, many people tend to keep their distance. And they don't want to get too involved and they, they don't want to get too, too committed. And folks, don't, please don't, don't think like that. Now, don't be tempted to view your Christianity in a, in a selfish, consumer kind of way. You know, the church is not a baseball stadium or a, or a cricket field. And, and you are not a spectator sitting on the grandstands eating popcorn and, and watching this event. Now, God has brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. And he has brought us here to the UAE, not for ourselves but to be part of God's work in the history of redemption. The church needs to be the players on that field, actively being part of God's work. Now let the world be the spectators. That's fine. 
But don't let it be said of us that we wasted the opportunities God has given us to be part of this plan that He has made before eternity passed. I think Mary reminds us that we need to view ourselves as, as part of God's people, this faith family, and a part of what God has been doing in the past, and a part of what God's work will accomplish in the future, a part of destiny that all of us will share together. And Mary is far from being self-centered here. She's not a consumer. She's not a spectator. She's centered on the church. And she's centered on God's plan. I think it's a good thing to remember in the Christian life. I think one of the things that is missing in, in much of Christianity today is people are, are so consumer-minded. And they think that Christianity is, is for them and to, to, Jesus is there to meet their needs. I mean, we just put on the television a Christian channel or, or listen to some YouTube video, and I'm sure at some stage you're going to hear about how God has sent Jesus to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's not the truth, folks. That's not the truth. Christianity is not just about us. God has a plan. God has a, has a mission, and He's included us in that. And we are part of God's family. We are part of God's people. And he may choose to use us in a way where we suffer, in a way that we reflect God's glory in pain. We learned about that and we spoke about that last week. And Mary understood that. Her life was not just about fun. Her life was not just about pleasure. Mary understood that. But yet she praises God. She understands it's not just about me. It's not just about my circumstances. There's a bigger picture here. God's plan of redemption that she is part of. And she praises God for that in this wonderful song. And this song has nothing in it about what we do, actually. This song has nothing in it about what we do to save ourselves. This song is all about what God has done for us. Through his son, Jesus Christ. I think this, this song is all about the gospel. Talk about a gospel-centered song. Here it is, right here. A gospel-centered hymn, right here. It's all about what God has done for the salvation, for the redemption of his people. And Mary is singing about the gospel. She's excited about the gospel. And she is singing the gospel She's seeing the gospel unfold before her very eyes. This Messiah is coming to the world. God has kept his promises. And her response is to praise God. She believes it and she responds in faith. And in doing that, I think she reminds all of us this morning that the Christian life is based on the gospel, the good news of what God has done in His grace to save us from our sins. And she reminds us that if we're going to live the Christian life, we need to know the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. And then we need to live the gospel 
Not just on a Friday. Every day of the week. She gives us a wonderful example by responding as she does in praise to God for the gospel. But in doing so, she also reminds us that the whole Christian life is based on the gospel. We can't pick and choose which portions of the gospel we want, folks. The whole Christian life is based on the gospel. It is God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ by which he forgives us and he pardons us. And that is the foundation of everything in life. And until we understand it, we do not deserve forgiveness. But that for all who admit that they do not need, do not deserve forgiveness, and who call out to God for the forgiveness of their sins, God gives us mercy. God gives us mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve. And the scriptures tell us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the whole foundation of the whole Christian life. And I think Mary reminds us of this in this wonderful psalm. And I pray this week you'll have a, a blessed time as you get together in your home groups, as you get together as families, as you read this passage again to each other, and be reminded of what Christmas is all about. God's plan of redemption, the gospel, Jesus coming into this world as a human being, God keeping his promises to generations, the covenant keeper. And Mary reminds us this morning of what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our souls. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning as we meditate on this wonderful portion of scripture this week. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much that we could say about this song, Lord. We just don't have the time. We just don't have the words to eloquently do it justice. But Lord, I thank you for Mary who did. I thank you for Mary who wrote such a God-honoring, God-glorifying, gospel-centered song to her Savior. Father, I wonder if we were to write a song, what would we write? I wonder if we were to put words to a tune, what would be our focus? Lord, I pray it would indeed be the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we would sing praises of gratitude, that we would sing praises of worship to the God who has given us what we don't deserve. And Lord, I pray this Christmas, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be fixed on your mercy and your grace. Lord, we wouldn't be the consumers who, who think that Christmas is, is all about our pleasure, it's all about our fun, but that our hearts would be fixed on wanting to share this good news with others around us who are, who are dying in their sins. So Father, we pray, take your word and may the Spirit apply it to our hearts and our lives this morning that we would respond like Mary did, with praise and worship. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.